0: what was it he died of so young consumption was it gabriel asks greta replied i think he died for me recognize this quotes movie stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of talking pictures trivia
1: welcome to talking pictures trivia the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive i'm one of these friends today's host nick and with me is um and kj additionally joining us as a guest this week is Uh, i'm chris thanks for joining us Chris has joined us for many, many of our episodes, including The Clone Wars, The Mandalorian, and The Batman. Later this season, Chris will be quizzing us on The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. He's only missed a few movies with The in the title on Talking Pictures Trivia. Chris conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point. And in round two, each question is worth two points. Well, usually Tom's episodes, we'll see how it goes. Then once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant,
2: where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to the theaters in 1987, we would have had to choose between Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Teen Wolf 2, Wall Street, Good Morning Vietnam, and today's movie, The Dead. So, The Dead is based on James Joyce's short story. It was John Huston's final film. He directed it from a wheelchair, sometimes with his eyes closed. And he died a few months after the completion of photography and before the film was released in theaters. So this truly was his swan song of one of the great careers. And it follows a gathering in Dublin in 1904. And it's a winter gathering um, put on by two aunts and their niece. And the star of this gathering is Gabriel and his wife, Greta. And Gabriel is going to give a speech. And we mostly follow the details of this social gathering, this kind of example after example of Irish hospitality. And the movie moves to revelation. It moves into an an epiphany that Gabriel has when he discovers a truth about his wife that puts the affairs of the party into a new context you all look confused <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> it, what we'll movie did there. you watch mm-hmm. the, well, yeah well, the one with the, <laughs> the one with the snow <laughs> no one audience no one seems to agree that that is a plot summary of this movie so we're gonna we're gonna figure out what movie everybody watched um chris if you had one word to describe the dead, what would it be? I'm gonna go with monologue.
3: What about you, Nick? What's your one word?
1: I'm using the hyphen cheat today. West Britain. KJ? Snowflakes. And my word would be
0: epiphany. It's time for question one.
2: All right, here we are in round one. Gentlemen, are you ready? No, I'm not ready. I have no idea what you could ask. It's going (laughs) to (laughs) be. All right. Let's do do an easy one to start. Um, Question number one. During what holiday is the movie taking place? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right. Nick, what do you have? It's cold out. It's snowing. I'm going to go with Christmas. Okay. And that's the, the holiday that's the same day as the movie. So, KJ, what do you have? New Year's Eve. Chris, what do you have?
3: I was also going to go with New Year's Eve. All
2: I
1: think right. they're right. I think they're right. There was no Christmas tree. No, no
2: points. No points. <laughs> oh! It was it was January sixth. There was the Feast of the Epiphany. <laughs>
0: so much wow. <laughs> ones. And the questions are getting Start hard. Start simple. And... You know, they, they did say that in the. In the movie but they also were talking about that it was a new year but no, that makes year. sense because it still was a new year it on was a, yeah 6. new year's eve is
3: not the new year yet
0: it's
2: also january 6th
3: i remember <laughs> them saying that it was after christmas so new year was more of a uh, a guess mm-hmm. for me but yeah it makes sense that it was the feast of the epiphany that goose
2: <laughs> Mm-hmm. Everyone knows you have a goose on the Feast of Epiphany. You have an Epiphany goose. <laughs> you, you, you never had an Epiphany goose, Nick? I've had an Epiphany drink.
3: <laughs> don't forget the uh, the pudding. <laughs> so, yes, yes,
2: exactly. Don't forget the pudding. All right, so I brought this question forward to talk about the nature of the, the story, actually kind of what the genre is, um, why it's being held on the feast of the epiphany why that's significant um especially interested to hear from kj who somehow thought this is going to be like gossard park which i find find mystifying um but uh yes so that's why i'm bringing this question forward. this is a terrible start let's try this again No, I can't wait
0: for KJ to answer this question. I'm queued up here, Tom. Let's Um, go. So, uh, first of all, guys, we should be especially embarrassed because Tom telegraphed the answer as his word of the yes, I know, I know. Uh, But for your audience, he spelled it in the Google Doc with an H after both P's. So I read it as (laughs) epiphany, (laughs) epiphany. And I until I've noticed... well, all right. um, A stutter type, epiphany. And I, I don't remember what you wanted to bring up, but the reason i thought it was similar to godsford park is it cuz it seemed like it took place during the same time period and there were people having dinner in not necessarily very fancy clothes but people were dancing they were meeting at what i was picturing more of a mansion although this was a very nice house so i
2: was comparing the setting to to godsford park mm. ah yeah i mean they're what's godsford park's the 1930s i think this is 1904 um yeah that, that's yeah, upper class. Uh, now, I think it's also well, the setting is is okay, so it's in the past, right? It's they're both costume dramas. So <laughs> I had an epiphany
0: that I was in the yeah. past here, Tom that was yeah, know, the connection but, um
2: yeah, but Goster Park is also, you know, very satirical. It is really making fun of these people. and I don't think this movie' is doing this at all with a little exceptions. It's teasing, but I don't think it's mocking at all. Yeah, but Tom, look,
0: Star Wars and Star Trek are very different. But if somebody said, hey, I like Star Trek, and I'm looking for another sci-fi
2: film that's similar,
0: <laughs> Star Wars might be on the list.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm not seeing it, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, audience, casi- let us
0: know on Twitter if yeah. you think uh, mm-hmm. The Dead is more similar to Godsford Park or do you want to throw something else out there, Tom? Or Star, Wars. Star Wars, Star Trek, <laughs> um... uh, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. King Kong? Like, we can go on and on here. Maybe
2: maybe closer to Howard's End, but that's not the best, maybe not all the right. best comparison. And I also think it's tweet out if you've end. seen Howard's End, because I'd be <laughs> curious about that. <laughs> uh, Alright, so, um, bringing in like the the holiday and the actual structure of the thing, we move from this, I, I, I think it's too harsh to call it a comedy of matters, but it's certainly a, um, it's certainly a kind of sentimental comedy. Into Epiphany. Um, and I was wondering what people thought of that structure, the way that the movie lays out its revelation.
1: Tom, I got to flip this on you. What is the Epiphany? <laughs> yeah, we all missed it. You'll have to. Well,
3: really? The, the Epiphany is that his wife, they married and then he realized that they weren't really in love with each other, is what I was what I kind of thought was the Epiphany. I, I didn't catch the meaning until you actually said this happened on the Epiphany, but it makes a lot of sense now that you say it. Mm-hmm. Because like when she tells when when Angelica Houston's character tells uh, his her husband about the boy that she loved who died after the rainstorm, that was the epiphany in his mind that their entire relationship together has almost been kind of a farce, not a farce, not that they don't like each other, not that they, they don't share time with each other and enjoy each other, but that they really true it aren't there aren't each other's soulmates. That was what I kind of got out of the ending and I felt like the entire hour and 20 minutes leading up to that was just a way of kind of hammering that home, Mm -hmm. since this was these were your two main characters. Mm -hmm. I did like that end sequence I will say that but the hour before it to
1: get to the five to 10 minutes at the end. I think this should have been a short story and a short movie. So yeah.
2: Well, it was like eighty minutes long. It wasn't that. It was long. an hour and
1: twenty minutes, but it felt like two hours and twenty minutes. And
2: three of those minutes were oh. the opening
0: credits. Three was. I was waiting seriously. I, I, yeah. I
3: was. I. I. I sat. I laid down in bed. And I was going. Okay, I'm going to watch like the first fifteen minutes of this before I go to bed, and I'll. I'll finish it tomorrow. I literally got through the credits, <laughs> and then I had to shut it off because I, the credits were so long.
2: Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I just want to say, I didn't dislike this film either. So I don't want to like, there's some movies we've seen that I'm just like, I don't get it. Like I was there, I listened to everything. There were some interesting dialogues and and I enjoyed when that one person was doing, um, I don't know if it wasn't poetry, but what was he reciting something? Like I, mm-hmm. I did enjoy that, but all in all, I I I was really kind of afraid of what we were going to talk about this week because I don't know a lot of facts and figures and deeper content. Well,
2: I don't think we need to know facts and figures. I think thinking about the the party in relation to the revelation at the end—that there was this person who died for love of this man's wife.
0: So we're like we're connecting it back to when he told her to go to
2: um, where was it County Clare, Galway. No, um, Galway. Longf- yeah, it was out, out in Galloway, yeah. Galway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Galway. Galway. It was suggested, yeah.
1: My people are from Galway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, one portion of my yeah.
2: people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, what the structure of the story, just as the structure of the movie, which uh, Tony Houston's script adapts pretty closely in that sense, is that you get a world and you have people who have certain importance in that world. And Gabriel seems to be the most important, right? He's like, in the sense of, not that he is a political figure or he runs something or anything like that, but in the sense that he is the most respectable. And in this environment, he's at the top of the hierarchy, right? You mean the West Britain? Yeah, yeah. He's the one who uh, everybody turns to to cut the goose, to give the speech, to make sure Freddie Malins isn't gonna be an embarrassment.
1: He's more civilized than the rest of them, although he appreciates the good old fashioned Irish hospitality
2: yeah and and even more civilized he is what what angelica houston's character greta says to him is like oh, oh gabriel you're too resp- you're you're too responsible right that's what she says and that's what puts him at the top of the hierarchy and that's what gives him this kind of importance and in the end that goes away because even with this woman who he's spent his life with or most of his life with up to this point he doesn't real he know her and she doesn't really know him and out of that kind of decentering of the self right he's no longer the center of these concerns he's finally kind of actually sort of free of those responsibilities he's then able to see the world for what it is which is you know I we've never really known each other, not in the sense that that we think and that all of this is passing, that even to a certain extent, this this conundrum doesn't matter. Right. Or it matters temporarily.
0: It's time for question two.
2: All right. So I'm going to give you a nice, easy one. So easy. What insult does Molly Ivers give to Gabriel?
3: Locked in? Locked
0: in. Yeah, it's come up on the show, right? Um, yeah.
2: Locked in. Okay, KJ, you're starting us up. What do you have? She calls him a West Britain. All right, Nick, what do you have?
1: I also have West Britain, and I also had that as my word.
2: <laughs> Chris, what do you have?
3: Yeah, Nick has surprisingly said this answer multiple times. West
2: Britain. Yeah, very good. Maybe I should have started with this one. Uh, <laughs> point for everyone. Yeah, One more
1: point than I thought I'd get.
2: Yeah, West Britain, you West Britain. Um, all right, so let's talk about Gabriel and his role in the party, how he's betrayed in the party, the tensions he deals with, the the respect he gets. Um, What did you think of him? And what did you think of the actor who played him?
3: Honestly, I wanted to know more about the girl who called him the West Briton. Like, she's in the story. She's there. She makes a couple of witty one-liners and kind of, like, dresses him down as they're doing the dance and then leaves. And we never see her again. Like, I really wanted to know more about, like, where did that? Where did that girl go? Like, what is she doing? I, she might have a more uh, interesting story. Honestly, is that maybe
1: your sequel, Chris? I, I don't want to go there
3: yet. That's later in the episode. Yeah. Sorry.
2: Yeah, she's going to a Republican party. Don't you know? Yeah,
3: she's very pro-Irish. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. To answer to answer your real question, I, I thought this actor was very good. I really, you know, he had some gravitas to him. He really like drew your attention. Like I knew right away that he was the person I was supposed to pay attention to, even though some of the other characters kind of stole the scene a a little bit. Uh, I thought he was very good. I thought the fact that he was always going back to the paper, although that might not be an actor's choice, more that director telling him to do it. That kind of shows that even though he has this, this power over the room, he's still a little bit insecure. About you know what he's what he's going to say and how he's going to present it and, and how people are going to take his message. Even Angelica Houston says, "Oh, he's been rehearsing it for hours or days beforehand." So, it, it, it he he plays it with a little bit of a, a nuance to it that that gives the character some dimension. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, It matters to him, right? You can see it. it matters to him, and it it's a source of tension for him. The speech, especially. If you read the story, he's fretting over whether or not to include Robert Burns quotes because he's too worried that they might be too highbrow or, um, you know, that they might, people might not appreciate them. And so the the speech ends up becoming part of his internal thought process as well. But I thought they brought that out really well.
3: Even though I've never read the story, I kind of got that, that he was trying to make sure he played to his audience. Because even though the audience was trying to play this scene of of opulence and we're all we're all like royalty kind of, you could tell that they weren't by like the size of the goose that they brought out. Like I thought it was kind of telling, you know, there's 12 or 14 people around the table and they're going to eat this little tiny like what almost looks like a like a pigeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like they, they're all treating this as like some high society event when really it's kind of just like a family dinner and it's it's there and. He's trying to make sure that he's not making a, making a mess in front of the family. It looks like.
0: So, Tom, I agree. In the book, he's the most respectable, but in the movie, they added a character uh, the the guy who sat in the corner of the table. I don't remember his Mr. name. Mr. Grace. Mr. Grace. Mr. Grace. Do we think Mr. Grace was more respectable than Gabriel, the knight?
3: Gabriel Conway.
2: Um, I don't know. Well, why do you say that?
3: Is is Mister Grace the guy that does the the monologue, mm-hmm. the recitation?
1: Okay,
2: okay. Just I just wanted to make sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, that was the word I couldn't remember. What is it? Recit, say that again.
2: Recitation. That's it.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, he. I, maybe because we didn't see it, but he wasn't nervous about anything he did. He was a little more confident than Gabriel was. Not that that is necessarily more respectable, but if we're talking about respectable and gravitas, and I, I understand. Um, Gabriel had more responsibilities, but it, it was because they were more familiar with him, it seemed, whereas Mr. Grace was more of a guest, but also very respectable.
2: When I mean respectable, what I mean is he is the person to whom everyone looks to keep things in order. Right? These, these women are putting on a dinner party. Things can go wrong. And even though, as you said, Chris, and I think that's a really good observation, it's not a high society gathering. This is a family party. You know, there's a family and associates party. Um, they're a respectable, what we might call, upper middle class group, but they're not. You know, we're, we're not dealing with very wealthy people here. Um, but Gabriel is the sort of favorite member of the family, right? He's the he's the nephew that everybody loves, and therefore he's the one everybody turns to. To hold things together. I think that's what I mean by respectable, not- He's
1: also probably the most accomplished or established of that crew too. So he is the successful member of the family. Oh, my nephew, you know, mm-hmm. the one who's doing great.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think one of those women, uh, her, one of those women has a daughter, so we have that, but otherwise he's he's their sister's child. Uh, and he's, you know, kind of the the next generation. You know, he's the only male of the next generation, and I think all of that kind of factors in why he is um, the center of this movie, even when he's not on screen or when the the camera's focused on something.
0: Is he not related to Freddy? That's not I his great answer so. or anything. No, that wasn't. A... I don't
2: think so. Maybe okay. I'm maybe hmm. I'm wrong about that. I, thought that I, just, a... I just didn't want to,
0: uh, you know, dismiss Freddy here.
2: Freddy could have been.
1: I didn't get the family tree. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Freddie is a mains. Um I don't know. Because it's the Morgan and the Conroys are the two the two families. Um so I don't know if Freddie's an associate or or, or not. But also Freddie's clearly not going to get married. Freddy's Freddie's going nowhere fast. Uh and Did I you mean I, Teddy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I say first things first. Yeah. <laughs> no nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I also like really like um Donald McCann's perform Donald McCann's performance in this. He's not a very accomplished film actor, but he's very much an accomplished stage actor in Ireland, as a lot of these people are. This is just littered with stage actors. I think the one movie star we get out of this is is Angelica Houston, who was already established by this point. Well, and the goat was in it. Yeah, yeah. I, um column um what's his last name? meanie Yeah. Colameni also became a successful film actor.
1: That makes sense though that they would be stage performers because of the nature of the set if you will. Most of it's happening what? In one room where they're dancing, another room where mm-hmm. they're around a dinner table. I mean, most of it is not in multiple settings. I mean, it was like a big venture going to their hotel after. It's like, "Wait a minute. This is something different." Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> It has the intimacy of a stage play, and those actors seem to understand and know that intimacy. Um, we should call out to the actor who played uh, Freddie Malins, Donald Donnelly, who is an incredibly accomplished stage actor, one of the big actors of uh, Brian Friel's plays, um, and who's also wonderful. I think he's—I think he's my favorite performance in this, with possibly the exception of Angelica Houston.
1: I liked her as Morticia.
2: Thanks. That's what I I kept
3: seeing as well. Of Uh, course. I couldn't help it. I
2: I forgot. I forgot about that movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Movies. Movies. Oh, okay. When are we we doing
3: those movies? Sign me up for them.
1: I actually, total tangent, I would argue that the sequel is better than the original.
3: Wow. The, let's let's take, let's take a break and let the let's ruminate on that one. I don't know.
2: Hello. And, and, welcome, and back to B-side. welcome back to B side. Finally, it is B side. B b b b b Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams, Juzo Itami's be, 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 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And today I'm going to be talking about be. a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. <laughs> talking Pictures Trivia B side, wherever you listen to
1: Talking Pictures Trivia. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guest a key question. Chris. If you could write your own sequel for The Dead, what would it be?
3: I don't think I can take credit for this. I think this is more of a group idea, but it's gotta be we know what happens to that girl that kind of dresses down Gabriel and goes to the Republican party. I want to know what happens to her. I want to see where she goes that night. I want to see what happens when she and Gabriel meet the next time. I want to know that chick's story. I think I think that would be a good a good sequel to this. I think that's like a
1: spy action thriller. I mean, you got all that going on there. There's, there's going to be
2: some... I think it's a different genre. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Is she going to be a Grenader? Dropping bombs? Well, there might be a monologue at the
0: rally.
3: Probably. <laughs> perhaps perhaps she has an epiphany.
0: We'll call it the living. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, so the other thing we could do is the dead family values, if we're thinking we're going to bring... Uh... Adam's family? Yeah. Well, what's her name?
3: So Angelica Houston comes back as Morticia, and we talk about the dead family values. I like that. It's good.
0: Mm-hmm. A double roll. And then they
3: go to summer camp in Ireland or West Britain or whatever this movie is set. <laughs> Galway. They finally no. make it to Galway, mm-hmm. and the dead are there. <laughs> this movie just writes itself. Wait a minute!
1: If the dead are there, am I getting like a, a shotgun pump here? Or what? No, no, no! Like,
0: like he's like an Adams Family guy, the guy that loved her. Oh, like the guy, of, the guy yeah. who died. At the, the dead, break. right? That's what the title's referring oh. to? That mm-hmm. dude,
2: the dead? Well, I mean, it's the dead, right? It, it's... Is it plural, singular? What... No, I
1: think KJ's got his spinoff here. Where the guy, mm-hmm. does he come back? Does he come back? The guy who died? Yeah, and like- She yeah, went away. this
0: love triangle oh, situation going I think, on. I
1: think we're, something, something's percolating yeah, Tisha's here. Tisha's
0: trying to coordinate these- you know. <laughs> It's like a bit of Fiddler on the Roof. all sounds old. very
1: James it's Joyce. Fiddler on the Roof? It's <laughs> <unreasonable>.
0: <laughs> all the monologues are in Okay, song. I got to draw a
1: line somewhere.
0: <laughs> it's time for question three
2: Who is the poet slash translator whose work Mr. Grace recites? I think
3: the silence is telling. Locked you-
2: in do you know
3: i have an answer that's locked oh. in locked in
2: i guess
0: i'll lock in locked in
2: all right Gaja, what do you have
0: uh there's some rules to pub trivia right if you're asked for an american author and you don't know if you're asked for an irish author and you don't know you go oscar wilde
2: your, your answer is oscar wilde okay <laughs> Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> okay, good. Um, Chris, what do you have?
3: I literally locked in just so I didn't have to go first to answer this mm-hmm. question. So my complete wild guess is Keats.
2: Okay, and Nick, what do you have? None other than Patty O'Donoghue. Okay. No, none of those were correct. The answer was Lady Gregory. It was Lady Gregory. That was my second guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. It
1: actually was that female that they were talking about that her voice was off i was gonna say her name but i couldn't remember it so i was still wrong okay.
2: yep yeah so lady gregory so i brought this question So this scene so this for our audience who may not remember the scene or hasn't seen it there's a character that the houston's introduce mr grace and he gives a recitation that is not actually in the the story it's one of the few places where there's a clear drift from the original source material.
1: Oh, I actually like that.
2: I liked it too. I liked it a lot. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I think it works really well. Um, And I was wondering what people thought of those little details that made this a movie, that made this have a certain kind of dramatic flow to it. Um, And what details were, maybe a better way to ask is, what details did you find that were cinematic that spoke to the the medium of a movie?
1: I like the comedic like banter between some of the characters. I know it's kind of smaller items. I don't have any specific things, but even when we were talking about Freddie or Teddy, like those kind of parts of that dialogue, because I can imagine being at a table and having those kind of jokes going <laughs> around. So I know that's not the the deep answer here, but those were the elements. I enjoyed was when there was a little bit of comedy Mm -hmm. in the party. I
3: I liked the Mr. Grace part. Uh, I didn't know that he wasn't in the book because I didn't read the short story. But based on some of the other conversations we've had earlier tonight, I feel like maybe he was put in as a way of showing you what Gabriel wanted to emulate. I think KJ brought up the fact that Mr. Grace was very, very elegant and kind of went up there very regally and did his little recitation and had no uh, shivers about it, had no uh, nerves about it whatsoever. And it was almost like a way of showing Gabriel, this is what you're supposed to do. And I think really soon after that, you see Gabriel look to his notes again, as if he's trying to remember what he wants to say. So maybe this was a way of kind of like I know you said in the book, they kind of do a little bit more inner monologue of him trying to edit his own, his own words. Maybe this is a way of doing that without inner monologuing two times because they do it at the end, but they don't do it in the middle of the, of the piece at all. So maybe that was Mr. Grace's purpose. Yeah, I think you're
0: right, Chris. I, I think in the book, there were quite a few inner monologues and, and the, the movie is a really good adaptation of the, of the short story, especially having to handle a lot of those inner thoughts and those transitions that, characters go through however how do we feel about the production value of this movie i thought the the lighting was pretty terrible there's the scene when he sees his wife on the stairs and in the book i i don't want to say that's the epiphany but it's definitely in conversation with the epiphany um it's this moment where he sees her almost as an angel as this glorious uh, uh woman that's on the on the stairs and in the movie it just it looked like a a PBS special like it, it just it was a, it was a chance for the director to really show us something and it, it kind of fell very flat and I felt like that throughout the movie there there it just again it felt like a PBS special or something um, a low quality BBC thing maybe
3: I don't know I, I agree that it didn't look great uh, it, was, it was it was it had 1987 written all over it as I was watching it but I did like the fact that it made me feel like I was in not a palace I wasn't in a crazy house I wasn't in a manor I was in some regular run-of-the-mill house with like a one candle chandelier kind of thing like it wasn't some gigantic uh mansion like I said before so I even though the lighting wasn't great and the there weren't a lot of camera moves this was all definitely solid shot there wasn't any sweeping moves it was it kind of made me feel like I was in somebody's house just kind of observing their family party and it wasn't a very rich family
1: So back in the mid eighties, my father was the guy with the, gosh, we can't even call him camcorder. You literally had your VHS in like a little satchel and this big camera. And it reminded me of him being at a party and filming the dinner party. So we have all these home videos from back in the day, horrible quality, okay? But it shows you live what the party was truly about. So I do see what KJ's saying there about the quality but I also kind of took it I gave them a pass because I thought it was supposed to feel like I was just in this house
2: yeah I, I think the house appears lived in it appears distinct right the the trinkets and the the set was quite good Tom the set mm-hmm. was yeah I yeah I don't really have a Problem with the lighting. I don't. I don't think. I mean, it's interesting. It was actually filmed in summertime in Southern California. <laughs> it was uh, wow. It was as fake as it could get, right? Um,
0: well, uh, even and though... real quick to, to interrupt, Tom. The my word was snowflakes because when I read the short story, I was convinced the snowflakes represented the dead, and we're reading a story that took mm-hmm. place a while ago, and they were telling stories that took place a while ago, and so really, mm-hmm. we're all just snowflakes drifting along until we're dead.
1: And then the White Walkers it. come in. Oh, and then no, the White Walkers come, da, da, dun, dun,
0: dun, dun, <laughs> um, And so another lost opportunity for the cinematography and for the director was the snow. The snow also it I, showed I thought this... should have been. They do, but it could have been more prominent. I thought it should have well, been. Well, now
1: prominent. we know why. It was California.
0: It, yeah, it ends. Well, it ends with shots of snowfall. It it does, but it, it's not a snowfall I remember. I thought I was going uh, to When I read the book, that's what stuck into my head. So I thought the hmm. movie was going to capitalize on that and, um, you know, really show a good snow.
1: See, I wonder what my bias would have been if
2: I read the story. I did Mm. not. Mm. Well, I, a movie ends with a collection of landscapes, right? And graveyards as, as the snow is falling down. And so there is this idea of all of these things are kind of connected together and also everything's passing, right? Like you leave the social and move into nature. In nature is in this instance cold. It's it is snow covered, or snow is covering it. It's in the process of covering it. Um, I, I suppose maybe it isn't this kind of rich Hollywood snow, which you know, fair enough. But I, I still think that theme that you're talking about—that you know, the snow covers the dead, and all of this passes. All of this will be buried. I think it was pretty pretty evident in those those final shots. I, I do like this production of I actually do like her on the stairs too, which is a, a moment that, that gets me every time. Um, also, bring up Mr. Grace, not to go all the way back there, but that's the moment where Gabriel notices his wife reminiscing, right? That she's hurt by something. Um, and remember, you know, this is the poem that, like, you have taken the East from me, you have taken the West from me, you know, you have taken my heart from me. Um, and you have taken God from me, right? There's this sort of, uh, um, it's a poem about a love that costs somebody everything. And that's thats who that man was for her, right? And so there's an interesting way in which I think that addition adds some dramatic tension because it introduces the, the germ of that idea that there's something going on with her. We're tied at one. Um, So let's hope we can break this tie here.
0: It's time for question
2: four. What is general all over Ireland? Repeat. What is general all over Ireland?
1: Locked
0: in, but I have two answers. Locked
1: in. What is general all over Ireland? Mm -hmm. I'm assuming this is a direct quote.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm using the word general, right? Yes. Quote.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Locked in. All right. So, Tom, before you start calling on people, can I ask
0: um, is it what is, general, what is general all over Ireland right now, or what is general all over Ireland in general? And if you can't answer, that's okay. Don't answer. <laughs>
4: it's,
2: he says something is general all over Ireland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do, do we still want to lock in
1: i locked oh, in yeah locked yeah. In. Okay. I'm, yeah I'm locked all in. right
2: kj uh oh i'm sorry nick what do you have
1: it's irish hospitality
2: all right chris what do you have snow
0: ah those are my two but snow was the one that really sticks in my head because i'm still going with tom's picking the words from the beginning that we all used mm-hmm. as our first words but uh you know got us with the third
2: one so uh snow and that's it yeah snow is general all over ireland very good um
1: not irish hospitality i'm pretty sure they said something about that
2: they didn't say it was general all over ireland <laughs> all right so i i brought this question here because i want to talk about the ending i think this is like one of the great 10 minutes or however long that ending is in in movies i i think it's one of the great endings of a movie um it really kills me, <laughs> this ending, both in the story and in watching it. I think the, the film does justice to that ending in part because of that, that great performance from Angelica Houston and and him as well, Dottle as well. And I was wondering what people thought of that ending, of how this wraps up.
1: I mentioned this a little earlier. I enjoy the ending. I just don't necessarily know if I need the one hour and 10 minutes buildup to get to that ending.
2: I think they're inseparable and I could I could make that argument but Oh, I know you could. So. Yeah, I want to I hear what other people it. have to say.
3: Now that I've seen the ending of the film, I don't know that I'm going to go back and watch this immediately. I don't think I'm ready for that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the next time I watch it, which I do think in the future maybe I will. If I do watch, if I do end up watching it again, I will definitely be watching it through a different lens of of like what to look for, like to look for like her heartbreak as the recitation is happening. I didn't catch that. You mentioned it. It makes perfect sense, but I didn't catch it because I didn't know where we were going. Uh, Now that I know where we're going, I think it would give my second watch more. I would have something to look for. I, I would be focused on that aspect of it. And maybe pick out more details that I didn't see before, to how the ending made me feel. I, I, I agree, it was kind of heartbreaking for this individual. I don't think that I necessarily fell in love with any of the characters. I, I I jumped into their lives for an hour. I watched them do their thing, and then I jumped right out. I don't feel like I loved any of them. I didn't hate any of them. I thought Freddie was entertaining, so I it didn't really grab me. Like I think that maybe it, it should have. Like I, I don't. I like. This guy, this guy was a great guy, but at the same time, I don't, you know, I feel sorry for him, but I would feel sorry for him the same way I would feel sorry for a random person I saw walking on the street that was having a hard day. So, like, I, it didn't, it didn't, like, suck me into, like, oh, my God, I feel so terrible for this dude, but at the same time, I, I now get where the story was going the entire time, and it will influence my second watch.
1: That makes sense, though. There's more mm-hmm. depth there than someone like me watched it for the first time had no idea what I was really looking for and got what I thought was a drastically different tone on the ending than the rest of the film and a tone I enjoyed but maybe I'd be able to piece it together more if I knew what I was looking for however I don't know if I'm going to go down that journey again
2: yeah I think they're inseparable first of all you need the beginning to or the the, most of the movie to set up the epiphany right an epiphany has to come not all at once, but it has to come at the end of an experience to reveal the experience as something different than what you thought it was, right? You know, and and we have, um, you know, we have Gabriel is the the angel who um, who the the archangel who announces the birth of Jesus and and John, right in the in the Gospel of Luke. So we have his namesake, you know, that's why he's Gabriel, right? He's he's the announcer of this. And in this case, it's not a, a kind of salvation revelation. It's, um, it's a revelation that I don't wanna say diminishes because the epiphany sort of allows you to expand, to understand more, to see the world for what it is. But it is a, a form of announcing or revealing truth in the way the archangel announces and reveals truth in, in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. However, attaching it to the, the beginning of it, I don't think the, I think a worse director and a worse writer than Joyce and Houston would have looked back upon the Irish hospitality and that party as a bunch of kind of silly people, right? Almost the way Gossard Park treats the characters in that movie that those are people to um, to look down upon, that the director looks down upon or mocks. Uh, I don't think there is an ounce of satire in this movie. I think there's comedy, and I think we're kind of laughing at some of the characters and their, their ways of being. I think there's a smudge of comedy of manners in it, um, but I don't think we're ever satirizing these people. And I think that the the Irish hospitality matters so much. And the, the forms of the party, it really does matter to these people. And, it, and that concern is not mocked or dismissed in any way. And I think that on the edge of that glow of that party is the passing, right? Is, is the fact that these people are going to die and move on. And there's that great scene where Aunt Julia sings and the camera cuts, do you remember what it cuts to? It cuts to a bunch of of like trinkets and old photographs and like little shoes and her Bible and the, uh, the crochet on the wall, right? It cuts to these memories, it cuts to the past. And as she's singing on the borders of this party, on the borders of this life, as this woman who's going to die soon we're, we're led to believe is um is all of these memories is all of this past is all of this passing that all of these people are going to enter into they're eventually going to move into the borders and so i think the movie really brilliantly um balances the joy of the present with the understanding of passing and the understanding of the in unavoidable truth of eventual insignificance
3: I think if they remade this movie today, they might do one of those like flashback scenes. They might show you the epiphany at the end, like this is how it this is how it ends. And All then right. jump back and show you the party as they go. Just because I feel like I feel like uh somebody our age or younger maybe was turned off by this movie. I like I said, I kind of enjoyed it at the end of the time. But Like it's like KJ, I think you said your wife was was bored during it, and like if 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 you get the the punchline at the beginning and then you can look for the 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 breadcrumbs throughout a little bit more, maybe it would have been I, I I understand why it was done the way it was, but at the same time I think that if if a modern take of this was to be done, they might actually put the. The ending at the beginning, and the, like three hours earlier, and and show you the party and the and the raucousness and all that other stuff. Maybe you get a better feel for what he's what he's trying to show in those depictions. I was gonna
1: say we're a much more impatient society these days.
3: Oh, for sure.
2: Yeah, but we don't get a epiph- That that's you don't get the epiphany then, right? It's just yeah. It's just like here's the grand truth. Then and... Tom, I didn't oh. get the
1: epiphany, and I watched it the way it was made.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could take place on New Year's Eve.
1: <laughs> <laughs> bonus questions. All right, let's go for it. Oh, and the okay. good news is usually we do three-pointers, so I'm still in the game. The next
2: minute.
1: <laughs> it's time for a bonus question.
2: What song did Mr. Darcy sing to inspire Greta's reflection? Locked in. Locked in. Oh no, locked in. Nick, what is it? I'm a lumberjack. All right. <laughs> okay, Chris, what do you have?
3: I got nothing. I, I literally went, I locked it because I didn't want to be the first one to go like Nick had to. I have no idea. I don't even have a witty guess. I'm sorry.
2: Right. KJ, what do you have? <laughs> Green sleeves? Tom, I have no idea. The last of Akram. Okay. <laughs> Time for another
0: bonus question. <laughs> It's time for a bonus question.
2: Another song question. What is the name of the song that Aunt Julia sings? Locked in. Locked in. No! (laughs) Locked in. Okay, Nick, what do you have? The unicorn. Okay, Chris, what do you have? (laughs)
3: Ah. The Irish? I have
2: no idea. Okay, uh, Keiju, what do you have? Green sleeves. All right. So it was a raid for the bridal. Okay, next bonus question. Um, it's time for a bonus question. What sets Mr. Brown apart from the other members of the party? Which one's Mr. Brown again? He's the guy who gets drunk who isn't Freddie got it locked in actually locked in locked in all right chris what do you have
3: oh boy i'm gonna say he's not related to any of them that he's actually just a friend
2: okay kj what do you have
0: he's a lot more racist than the other ones
3: (laughs) (laughs) when is he racist (laughs) At the at the dinner, yeah. he's talking about. Uh, I think Fre- when he calls Ted- when he calls Freddie Teddy, yeah, that whole Fre- Freddie Teddy is talking about how there's a singer mm-hmm. that's really good, mm-hmm. and then yeah, he's making like a racist comment about because she's like, he or she is uh,
2: not white. Mm-hmm. Oh right right right. Mm-hmm. Nick, what do you have? Different religion. All right, and Nick somehow won this episode.
3: Wow. Yeah. Yep.
2: He was of the other persuasion. That's right. He was a he was a Protestant. All right. Wow. Well done, Nick from Half I Court. I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nick knew the fewest questions at this <laughs> in this one. But it's the ones that away. count. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's the George Foreman system. You land not a lot of punches, but the ones you do, not boom. Yeah. Very good. Well, congratulations, oh. Nick. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm still in shock. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's Nick is very good at movies he barely remembers watching. <laughs> <laughs> that's his. That's his. Yeah, but it's yeah, only yeah. if
1: everyone else also doesn't remember anything. Mm-hmm. All you need to know is a little bit more.
2: Yeah, you guys have watched this movie three times this week. Just I. Already had the questions. I just liked it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I invited a friend over to make make her watch it. So, um, so Margaret watched it with me as well. Um, who she's seen it before, so she was already familiar. Um, and actually had written on joy on this story, so she knew the story well. So it was uh, it was nice to, to have a little company.
1: I'm sure she team. got the epiphany.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, that's, Joyce used to say he would get his, so if you know the Dubliners, which is the short story collection that this story ends, they're all epiphany stories, they're all stories that end with epiphanies, and Joyce used to say he would have his epiphanies on the toilet, that's that's when he was inspired, when he was on the toilet, he would have his little epiphanies. (laughs)
3: And who doesn't? Yeah. Sometimes they're big, big of
2: epiphanies. <laughs> <laughs> A mono log. Uh,
3: And we've devolved to to poop jokes. <laughs> yeah.
2: We we hung on longer than I thought. Uh, oh, Only okay. took
3: 107 episodes. Mm, yeah. It's time for Movie rent. I guess my final thought is that it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll probably watch it again, but not this week. I'm not going to invite anybody over to watch it. Uh, I don't. I don't think my wife would would watch it. I, much like I think KJ's wife kind of fell asleep at it, was bored. I think Beth would definitely get up and walk away. Uh, it's not for her. But I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was good. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I enjoyed the cameo by a Star Trek engineer in it, so that was good.
1: I pre-screened this one. Uh, we had a, a variety of texts going back and forth to decide if my wife would uh, be interested in this film. Tom still thought she would be. I
3: think I'm glad I went with my gut, though. Uh, I'll
1: I'll save I'll save it for another one, another episode. Uh,
3: that's on the docket to watch Jurassic Park with me. I think that's oh, where we're
1: going to hit, hit the yeah, sweet I'm thinking spot. I'm my wife as well. Yeah, I, think, I think that's a good one. Mm.
2: Oh, God, you guys, this is like a maybe top five or top ten movie for me. I know, you were saying this it was I very high this. up yeah. there for you. Yeah, this is, you know, this is... It's interesting watching this movie at like 23, 22, 21, 20, whatever, how old I was when I first saw it. Um, it was really affecting and really moving. But, you know, man, at middle age or approaching middle age. I was going to say, how old are you, Tom? <laughs> about, I mean you know about that uh maybe a little younger than middle age but it it really hurts uh that kind of revelation at the end and it was written by joyce was 25 when he wrote this story was a young man and he kind of saw something in, <laughs> in 25 in 25
3: going on 60
2: yeah yeah he always was uh he was yeah he was 25 going on 60 going on 16 there's also like a lot of sexual stuff in his work as well that sometimes almost seems like aggressively juvenile it's, it's but anyway um and i think that was my experience this time was the was having lived and been through a number of relationships that you know may not have had the most uh, uh peaceful outcomes let's say and realizing you're kind of the part you play in people's lives is is not always Equal to the part you play in their lives, um, man. And the movie made so much more sense to me in in watching it now, watching it at this time in my life at this age, and. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies. Like I I'm just kind of in tears when watching it. Uh, it really 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 stuns me. I think the utter sympathy and kindness with which Houston treats all these characters, even somebody like Freddie Malins, who's who's so sweet, right? He's he's just he's not he's he embarrasses people, but he doesn't embarrass the director, right? He's treated kindly by him. Um, And you could see him with his mother and they're they're, like the perfect couple, right? They're the perfectly balanced couple of all the couples at the party, the embarrassed mother and, and poor Freddie have brilliant performances. Freddie Uh, Pauline once said uh, in describing this movie, that not not only does he know how to play drunk, he knows how to play somebody who is coming down from a drink, right? Coming down from a drunk. That's what you get there um, in that. And then, and Julia, the, the, the kindness that Gabriel gives her by calling her the three graces or one of the three graces and how, you know, she leans over to her niece to hear what she, what she said. And she's so like, she's in tears and none of it's mocking. I think the the camera treats her with, with such respect. And yet, and yet it won't ultimately matter. Right. Ultimately. it's, It's not like it won't matter. Sorry. That's that's, those are the wrong words. It's going to pass and no one's going to remember that's what it is and that is hard it's hard and beautiful and ah uh, i yeah this is one of these movies i really just have trouble getting over and i'm you know i know you guys didn't like it very much uh, but i'm i'm really happy at least you you talked to me about it
3: oh i ha- i have to admit listening yeah. to you just talk for the last like 3 or 4 minutes oh, I, oh, yeah. I i definitely i definitely mm see i I get what you see in this movie. I not that it jumped out at me the first time I watched it, but it, if I do watch it again, i I think I will watch it with a different perspective. And I think what you said was definitely all stuff that I will maybe see the second time. so mm-hmm. that's that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad we had this. I'm glad I was on this episode for this conversation.
2: yeah, I'm glad you're here too.
1: I could see how if this movie did call out to you, it could age with you as well. So I do see that. and it is nice. To hear why you chose this film, even if we didn't all equally enjoy it, and I don't speak for everyone, but we didn't—at least I didn't have that long experience. You've literally been able to digest this material for what two decades,
2: yeah. Whereas high yeah. I,
1: yeah, whereas I just saw it today and said, "Hey, it's kind of slow." So <laughs> it is nice to hear yeah. the the reasoning why you thought this was worth bringing to us and our audience. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: So speaking of events that um, don't matter and will be forgotten, I'd like to congratulate Nick this week for winning the episode.
1: (laughs) I almost forgot that I already won the episode already. Thanks, KJ, for that. Uh, One uh, of my great accomplishments is life soon
3: forgotten.
2: Yeah, but Nick will remember. It'll be a great epiphany later tonight.
3: (laughs) 20 years from now, he'll be looking out uh, looking out the window at a snowy field and say, oh, that's right, I won that episode.
2: Yeah. yeah. Or points. he'll be on the toilet, and then he'll remember <laughs>
3: it. It's snowing all over New Jersey currently, and I won that episode.
2: The snow is general over New Jersey.
1: <laughs> I'm still thinking about that Irish hospitality. You can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We are extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Did you have an epiphany while watching The Dead? Why or why not? Let us know on Twitter, talkingpicturestrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Chris, for joining us today.
3: Uh, As always, this is a blast. I can't wait to show back up for Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you guys about that then.
2: You can find me on Twitter at ThomasSlayman15 and check out Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. You can find me on Twitter at KJ10001000.
1: I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time when we continue our book adaptations and discuss Tom's recommendation from 1948, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Tom, how was your watch?
2: It was good. This is the first time I've seen this movie in maybe more than a decade. It's been a long time. I don't think I've seen this movie when I was in my 30s. And I first read the book, it's my first B. Traven experience, who is a fascinating character. And the book is wonderful. Uh, it, it's much better than I anticipated. And I, I hope to read some more of his books again. And then rewatching the movie was was excellent as well. Um, I forgot how good Walter Houston is in this. It, it's It's pretty great because I probably remember him more from impressions of people doing that character than him and it's actually like a fairly subtle performance like he's doing a lot in a lot of these scenes it's not just this like gimmicky thing at all
1: over the-top prospector yeah yeah it Slapping is on I mean, his knee yeah <laughs> and but I,
2: I mean it there's like a lot of like little details he's putting in there it's really really fascinating and if you compare it to like other Walter Houston uh, uh, performances it's actually fairly different also I mean this this is a guy who like, famously paid Abraham Lincoln uh, for T.W. For Griffith. So I, I love this. I think um, that the, it's, it's utterly fascinating. It's utterly absorbing. Um, it's really, really, really exciting. I think this is one of my favorite movies. And I can't believe it's been so long since I revisited it. And I would recommend the book also. The book is excellent. Kevin, how was your first watch?
4: Uh, yeah, like you, I, I read the book um, in preparation for for this podcast, um, doing doing some real research here for Talking Pictures Trivia, and uh, I, I enjoyed the book. I think maybe I don't have um, quite as active an imagination as the as the director of the movie, or maybe the actors. I don't know because uh, the actors. Brought far more nuance to the dialogue than I picked up in the book. Um, I, I thought the book was good. I didn't. I, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't quite rave about it the same way that Tom did. But um, perhaps I just didn't read it deeply enough. Um, but but the the film I, I agree is fantastic and is full of uh, full of nuance and and theme. And I uh, yeah I'm excited to talk about it. Um,
5: what did you think, Pat? So I saw this movie either 2017 or 2018. I can't remember which summer. I saw one of those summers, either 2018. I think it was, I don't know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But um, so I saw it then, and then I've probably seen it like a dozen times since then. Uh, and I read the book in, I think 2020, uh, like summer of 2020. But the, this book is, or the movie is, and I, I do like the book actually. I like I actually like some of the sub-stories that are within it more than I actually like the book itself per se. But the, um, the movie is one of my, I, I think it's, it's at least one of my top five and probably one of my top three favorite films of all time. Like I, I, I love this movie. And I think it's, it's probably the only movie I can think of that's actually like, like legitimately informed major life decisions. Like I've actually made, you know, sort of major decisions based on the film in my lifetime, um, which maybe we'll get into in the podcast, but I, I, it's a, it's, I think it's just such a good movie and I really, I really, really like it. Um, KJ, what about you?
0: Yeah. I hadn't heard of this movie before Tom recommended it for the show, which sounds like it's a little embarrassing because I mean, this movie was amazing. I, I couldn't look away. I actually didn't take notes because I just wanted to be into the movie instead of taking my notes like normal. So, Pat, I completely understand um, why you hold this movie so high. Um, and Tom, like you were saying, I felt like I was watching *Blazing Saddles*. I was like, "Oh, this is where that comes from. Oh, this is where that comes from." Well, there's there's a lot of things that um, the *Treasure of Sierra Madre* sets up that I think are used all over the place. And it was it was a wonderful watch. How was your watch, Nick?
1: This was a first watch for me. I thoroughly enjoyed this film just like everyone else. So I will save the rest for next week. The Treasure of the Sierra Madre is available on HBO Max at the time of this recording.
2: And you can find me on, on talk... Uh, you can find me on Thomas ThomasLayman15 <laughs> on Twitter and check out Talking Pictures. Is that not right? What is it? <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at slayman 15 and check out Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. You
0: can find me on Twitter at KJ10001000.
2: I can't. I can. I'm
1: still laughing. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. I don't know why I find it funny when he gets it out of order. I just, <laughs> I, I, just I hate, I can't I cannot figure out Twitter addiction. Like people are addicted to twitter they tweet like hundreds of times a day i can't barely you can find me them. at thomas lehman <laughs> okay on thomas lehman well, I, 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 I ask permission first. oh no it just cracks me up for some reason <laughs>
0: okay you can find me on thomas lehman too. <laughs> <laughs> tweet, tweet.
2: <Yeah. laughs> I have to finish this, okay.
1: Okay, I
2: <laughs> tweet, tweet. <laughs> okay, game face.